Okay, our text this morning is Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Let me read it for us. It's your paging there. Paul says, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Uh, the Apostle Paul understood that an important key to living life as a disciple before the Lord is self-evaluation. Uh, he's been giving us all of these different areas and issues to inspect within ourselves with the Lord because there are so many things that can stumble us or derail our walk with Christ. And so Paul's warning us about those. And more than warning us, he's saying, hey, check for these things in your heart. The same way that David did. He said, hey, Lord, seek me, search me and know me and try my heart. Um, this is a theme that we see throughout God's word. There are a lot of pitfalls which surround a Christian and can cause us to wander into the spiritual wilderness where we're not receiving all that God has for us. We're not moving forward in our faith any longer. We're not developing the kind of fruit and depth that the Lord wants for us. We're not enjoying that fullness of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. When it comes to the Christian life, it's not hard to know what we're supposed to do. It's not hard to know what we should do. God has laid out very plainly for us, and he's empowered us to accomplish those things. He sent unbelievable supplies of help and guidance and direction in order that we would realize his redemptive power for our lives. And so what's, what we're supposed to do isn't the hard thing. Uh, we know exactly what we're supposed to do. What's hard is making the decision to actually do it because that decision requires sacrifice and it requires that we place the Lord as master over us and ab abandon all control over our own lives. And so Paul is coming to us this morning and he's saying, look, I know what God wants for your life and I know how you get there. And, and this is how you get there. One, two, three. He's been going through this entire epistle showing us how you get to the place of joyful, completed fullness in the Lord day by day as you walk with him. Now, what we do with that information determines how full our lives are going to be with God's power and God's grace. And so in these three verses, Paul gives us a great comparison to consider and to apply to our own lives as we desire to step forward in our faith. As we're taking an honest look within our own hearts to measure whether we're walking with the Lord or whether we're wandering in a sort of spiritual wilderness, there are two examples that Paul gives us that we can line ourselves up against. Uh, it's very much like Psalm chapter 1. That's a familiar passage to uh, many of us. It talks about the way of the righteous and then the way of the wicked and what happens. You figure out how you get on either of those roads as a person and then what that road leads to. A very simple passage that lays things out very clearly for us. And the same thing is happening here as the Apostle Paul contrasts himself with others who profess to be Christians, yet in reality are something else altogether. And so beginning in verse 17, we see the first example, Paul and believers like him. He says this, again in verse 17, Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk, as you have us for a pattern. As Christians, we are to be imitators of Christ. Um, but for those of us who were not alive to see Jesus in the flesh, we might have a difficult time sort of reconciling his example with our imperfection. 
And uh, this is one of the great benefits of the Holy Spirit indwelling God's people because we don't travel through life on our own as Christians trying to you know, accomplish some sort of uh, godly work in our own power. We can't do that. Obviously, we know that without the Holy Spirit, we can't do any of the things that the Lord desires that we do. Without the Holy Spirit and the redemptive power of Jesus Christ, we can't have transformed lives. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by the Spirit of God that we accomplish the Christian life. And so this here is one of the great benefits of the Holy Spirit, that he is with us. He, has a, he is a constant companion with us in this life. He is there to speak and to direct and empower us to do the things that the Lord has for our lives. But even beyond that, beyond the example of Jesus Christ and beyond the power of the Holy Spirit within us, because God is a God of grace and love, he gives us something else as well. So we have Jesus' example, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, but then we also have even the example of other faithful believers who do walk worthy of their calling. Uh, we talked about this a little bit on, our, on Sunday in our studies through the life of David, where it's people who are walking worthy and people who are not walking worthy. And then what are you going to do with that information? And what does that mean for my life personally? And some of these uh, faithful believers are recorded for us on the pages of Scripture. People like the armor bearer, people like Jonathan and his brothers, people like the Apostle Paul. And now, as far as the New Testament is concerned, I don't think he would like me saying this, but the Apostle Paul is regarded by many as the greatest example of how to be Christ-like in this life. At the end of his life, he says, hey, I'm the chief of sinners, you know, let's follow after the Lord. But, you know, he is the great example of how we are to be Christ-like. And so if we're struggling with some issue, if we're seeking to deepen our relationship with the Lord in some way, we can go and look to Paul in his letters or in the book of Acts, and we can see very detailed examples of how we should live, how we should behave, how we should talk, how we should even think. We're given those examples on top of the example and the teaching of Jesus Christ, on top of the indwelling Holy Spirit, which empowers us to do all that the Lord desires for us. It's not that Paul was sinless or perfect, but he was a man who followed after the Lord passionately and faithfully. Therefore, we as Christians can look to him as a pattern which we should then apply to our own lives. What did Paul think about the church? What did Paul think about finances? What did Paul think about retaliation against slanderers? What did Paul think about Christian liberty? What did he say about those things? And then what do we see him actually doing when it comes to those situations? God has given us his life and many others in the Bible as an example of godliness and being spirit-filled so that we can benefit from what they did. Not just a story that we can learn and think that's a cool thing that the Lord did, but say, okay, yeah, it's a cool thing that the Lord did, but what does that mean to me and how can I apply that pattern into my life? Not only that, but Paul indicates here in this verse that we can currently look around and we can note other Christians who are walking with the Lord in the way that he's been describing in this chapter. And what Paul's been describing so far are people who are focused on Jesus Christ, people who are running the race with abandon, people who are motivated by eternity, have set Christ before themselves as a goal and as a treasure in their lives. And Paul says that we should look at those faithful Christians and see them as an example for ourselves. So we have the example and teaching of Jesus. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit to empower and direct us. We have the examples of uh, faithful believers and unfaithful believers in the pages of Scripture. And then we have people around us who we say, yeah, you're following the Lord. You've, you're running the race. You're reaching forward and stretching out towards Christ. And those all of those things are an example and a help to us so that we might benefit our relationship with God. Again, it's not that these Christian examples that Paul is directing us toward 
It's not that they're sinless or perfect or that they have super Christian, you know, ex-Christian powers. You know, that, that's not what it's about. It's not about status. It's about spirituality, <clears throat> biblical spirituality. Because seeing people who are on board with the will of God and who are being used by God, people who are on board with the cross of Jesus Christ, and then using their example as a measuring rod for my own life. We can see these kind of filled up believers uh, in the scripture, but we can also see them alive and well in the world today. And we should take note of them, Paul says, and apply their example to our lives and see how we are measuring up to uh, the principles we see in God's word. Think about it this way. We've been using the analogy of walking the disciple road and not getting drawn off into the wilderness for a couple of weeks now. We talked about how, you know, yeah, God wanted to bring the children of Israel from Egypt where he delivered them and into the promised land. And he got them to the border of the promised land and they said, we're not really interested in your ways. We're not really interested in what you have for us. And so he said, okay, well then you can't, have, you can't go back to Egypt. I've delivered you from that. And so now you're going to wander around in the wilderness. So we've been using this uh, uh, analogy and so we know the story. When the 12 spies were sent to check out the land of Canaan, what happened? Ten came back and did not trust God. They thought, you know, we're not going to do this. And two came back and did trust God. And they said, hey, we're going to do whatever the Lord says we can do. And we can look at that group and identify who was focused on following the Lord no matter what and who was focused on other things. Very immediately we can, we can see that. And this is what Paul is asking us to do. In fact, he now turns his attention to the other comparison – those who are not walking worthy of their calling. It's a, a great contrast. People like Paul who are following after the Lord and then others who are not following after the Lord. They're not walking worthy of their calling, but they're living altogether differently. He says this in verse 18. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Uh, as Christians, we do not live in physical isolation. We're all here this morning after all. Uh, but we also don't walk in spiritual isolation either. As we walk with the Lord, there are other people around us who also claim to be walking with the Lord, and therefore they have opportunity to influence, influence us either positively or negatively. Some of those people are walking like Paul did. You know, Some of the people in the church or the people around you, other, other Christians, some of them are walking like Paul did. They're focused on Jesus. They're pressing hard toward the finish line of eternity. They are walking worthy, and therefore they are a great example to us. But many who profess to be followers of Christ around us are not focused on the calling of Christ. The calling of Christ is to take up a cross. That's the calling that we've received. And these folks that Paul... Uh, is talking about in verses 18 and 19, he says they are enemies of the cross. They're carnal people. He describes them that way. They have no part in Jesus Christ, and therefore their end is destruction. Paul speaks to us about this group for three different reasons that I could see this week. The first reason is to warn us. We need to be on guard against anyone who would seek to draw us away from our pursuit of Christ and get drawn off into other pursuits. Uh, we're often warned in the New Testament of the false teachers that will always plague the church on this side of eternity. There's always going to be people out there who seek to come in. They're not from the Lord, and they're, they're going to try to damage the church through heresies and through false teachings and through you know, legalisms and sensualities and all those sorts of things. There's so, much of, uh, so many warnings about that in the epistles especially. 
There's a mental and a doctrinal defense that we need to cultivate as disciples of Christ. But Paul also points out that it's not just false teachers that can trip us up. It's not just people behind a pulpit that can trip us up in this way, but there's also what we could call travel companions. As we're traveling towards eternity, as we're walking with the Lord and running the race, there are people around us in that race as well, and they can trip us up as well. They're people who we've surrounded ourselves with as we live life. Just because a person professes Christianity doesn't mean they're truly disciples. And if they're not disciples, then we need to be very careful about bringing them into our lives uh, because they're going to influence us. Our destinations between these two groups that Paul is giving us, the destinations are very, very different, aren't they? You know, this group that we're seeing in verses 18 and 19 says they are headed for destruction. <clears throat> we are headed toward completion in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we're not going to be able to travel together very long before someone gets off course. You know, when we encounter different people in our lives, you have someone who is following after the Lord and someone who is following after earthly things. Neither of us can travel together very long before someone is going to change direction and start going a different way. Paul's saying, look, there are people around you who have set their mind on earthly things, and they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And if we spend any time reading the Proverbs, uh, we discover that when we surround our lives with people who are not focused on God, there are terrible, terrible consequences for us. Now, the second reason that he's bringing up this group to us, the first was to warn us, to watch out for them. But the second is to give us an example to apply to our own, our own hearts and see if there are any of these tendencies you know, uh, uh, producing fruit in our own lives. Because we cannot reject the cross of Christ and hope to receive the completion of Christ. That's just the deal. It's a very interesting phrase, I think, that he uses here. It's not that this group of people in their minds are enemies of God. It's not that they're enemies of Christ himself necessarily. But the text says that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And perhaps like so many people in the Gospels, they found certain aspects of Jesus appealing. They find certain parts of you know, the Christian life appealing. But then they are unwilling to sacrifice self in order to love and in order to serve the Lord. They're like all those people that came to Jesus and said, oh, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, okay, well then follow me. And they said, well, I, I, thought, I thought that was enough. I thought just saying I wanted to follow you was cool. I don't really want to you know, change the way I'm living. I don't really want to have to sacrifice anything. I don't really want to have to lay down my life for others. And that's the idea that people are enemies of the cross of Christ, even though they profess to be Christian. They profess to uh, follow after the Lord. And Paul says, you need to compare this example to your own life because you cannot benefit from the death of Christ if we are unwilling to take on the sacrifice of Christ. Here's how James said it in his epistle, James 4.4, 4, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's the word of God. That's the deal. And if we want the spiritual satisfaction that we see in Paul, if we want a life that is full of God, then we have to choose to take on the cross of Christ. You can't have the benefit of God without taking on the Christian life, which is to take up a cross and serve the Lord. It is a cross of love and self-sacrifice and service. It is a cross of ultimate submission to the Father. It is a choice to abandon all other pursuits in order to press into Jesus. 
So does that mean that we just get to, you know, become a Christian and then skip out on all our various obligations? No, of course not. We know that's not true. Because after all, God places each of us in specific situations and in specific places and relationships on purpose so that we can be used to minister his love and his grace and spread his truth. And so what this means, to abandon all other pursuits in order to follow after Jesus, means that we take wherever God has placed us and whoever God has placed us with, and we make our goal Jesus in that situation. We take our work life, for example, and we make the goal of our career or our work life to be the glory of Jesus Christ. That should be our goal in our work life. The goal of our lives is not to glorify Jesus and make a bunch of money. The goal of our lives is not to glorify Jesus and build myself, uh, you know, an empire or prominence or fame. You know, perhaps God is going to call some of us to a life that is, you know, blessed materially, and that's great. It's not wrong to make money. It's not wrong to build things. It's not wrong to be blessed by God if that's what he has called us to. What's wrong is to set our minds on earthly things and to pursue self instead of or alongside Jesus. The perfect example of this is the rich young ruler. Lord, I want to follow you. I think you're great. I want to, you know, I want to be one of your disciples. And Jesus says, okay, being a disciple requires something. Here's what it requires. And he said, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to actually change the, these parts of my life because these parts of my life are mine. And you don't need that part of my life, Lord. And Jesus says, okay, well then you're, you can't be my disciple if you want to uh, pursue self while you're also trying to pursue me. They're in opposite directions. One ends in completion. One ends in destruction. One is looking up towards heaven. One is looking down towards earth. We can't do it. We can't have it both ways. And so we are called to forsake every other pursuit in order to take up the call of Christ. And wherever he then sends us, whoever he sends us to, whatever place, whatever situation, then great, we'll go. If you've called me, you know, to Silicon Valley, to become a millionaire in Silicon Valley so that I can glorify your name, praise the Lord. If you've called me to be a Christian in, in Cairo and my house is going to get burned down, okay, that's up to you because you're the master and I just want to pursue you. doesn't mean that one is more, you know, it doesn't mean that both of those are equally enjoyable, but it's about the master's calling. And so to hold back any portion of our lives from God, Paul says, is to be an enemy of the cross and therefore an enemy of Christ himself. And we are given the example and the description of that kind of person so that we can then measure ourselves and our thinking and our behavior and evaluate whether we're taking steps toward the cross or whether we're taking steps away from the cross. That's what Paul is asking us to do. Now, the third reason that Paul talks about this other group in verses 18 and 19 is simply because he has compassion on them. He wept at the thought of their coming destruction. And while we need to be vigilant as believers to root out carnality in our own lives, and we need to have uh, 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 be looking within to see if there's any seeds of that sort of thing in our own hearts, we should be full of compassion on those who are trapped by carnality, who are trapped by uh, a life in, in the world without Jesus Christ. We should desire to reach out to those people. After all, we are like Paul who said this in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says, I was formerly a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And so Paul looks and he says, man, I am weeping for these people who are trapped by this carnal, you know, uh, sinful lifestyle because I was once like that and they need redemption because I don't want them to spend eternity in hell. 
And so if we are focused on heaven, it's going to remind us that there are people all around us that are not headed there. They're headed somewhere else altogether. And that should be something that motivates us to show love and to show grace and to get people onto the path that will spend uh, eternity with Jesus, not an eternity separated from him. And so knowing what to do isn't the hard part. Doing it is what we have trouble with. Because the flesh, after all, is not a willing sacrifice. God has redeemed us. He's given us power over the sin nature. He's given us his word with wisdom and direction and example. He's given us his spirit to indwell us and to speak to us and to power, empower us with gifting and direction and peace. God's also given us the church where we can be equipped as individuals and strengthened together, where we can see how the Lord is moving in all sorts of places and scenarios and ways right in front of us and the people that we know. He's given us other Christians who can serve as examples to us as they live faithful lives of service to God. God has given us all of this, and he's promised to us that there is a life of spiritual fullness waiting for anyone who is willing to take up the call of the cross, to willing to take on the cross and live in personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But we have to actually do it. We have to do it. We have to press forward. We have to take the next step on the disciple road. And so today, here's what we can do. Let's each, on our own, with our Lord, evaluate whether we're living in the pattern of Paul or whether we're living in the pattern of these other guys in verses 17 and 18. If we do that, if we ask the Lord to search us, God will speak. He will comfort. He will draw us to himself if we're willing to set our minds on him. And so today, let's take a step towards the cross, not step away from the cross. Amen?